0: Hello everyone, welcome to A Millennial Learns. Thank you all so much for tuning in to today's episode. Usually I try to get these Monday episodes up in the morning. It is like 8pm, but you know what? My New Year's resolution was that I was going to get podcasts up on the day that I have scheduled them. And so we're pushing through and... There will be a Monday podcast, <laughs> so thank you for joining me um today we're talking about the Civil War, and this may seem a little seem a bit random because we haven't gone through the Revolutionary War yet, which in hindsight might have been a good option, but we'll get there you know I just I have these whims of things that I would like to research, and I just go with them. you know, I really was interested in the Civil War today, and let me tell you why if you join me for more like for all my podcasts you will know that on Thursdays, I am doing this series where I go through each of the state histories in the order that they join the union. So we've done a few uh, states so far. We're like on our fourth state now. So I've done Pennsylvania, Delaware, um, New Jersey, and then this next week is Georgia. And for a lot of these states, like the Civil War has been a big kind of turning point in their history or like focal point in their history where they had to, you know, get troops together to fight. All three of them so far have been on the Union side. So I keep reading about the Civil War and realizing like I know, I know obviously some things that happened in the Civil War, but not in the depth that I would like to. So because there's so much play within like the state dynamics of how they voted, like it's a big part of their history, what side of the Civil War they were on you know, the reconstruction period, what their like economy was like, things like that. So I wanted to get into the Civil War. Now, we're going to do this in two parts because the Civil War is very extensive and we can get into a lot of depth here. So we're going to do like the first two years of the war, 1861, 1862, along with some causes and um, different measures that were taken, things like that. So, we're going to talk about all that today. I'm very excited. Thank you for joining me for today's episode. Let's talk about the Civil War. <laughs> So let's get into some of the basic basic facts of the Civil War. So dates. It happened from 1861 to 1865. I did not realize that many people what before they were like as they were entering into this war thought it was going to be very very short. It ended up being about 4 years. So it was pretty drawn out. And then the causes in very very broad terms which we'll get into are slavery, slaves rights and western expansion. So, in the 1800s, there started being a large economical boom in America. Now, it sounds like the entire economy of America was really booming, but the two sides of America were really booming in op- in different ways. So, the North was really based on industry and manufacturing. If you've listened to my other state uh, podcast episodes with new jersey pennsylvania and delaware actually all three of them since they were in the north were all super reliant at this time on manufacturing and industry so they were building like roads they were building canals they were uh, factories started popping up i believe at this time so there was a lot of industry happening in the north well in the south it was all agricultural based where they had very large-scale farms that relied on slave labor to operate them they had agriculture in the north but it was mostly small-scale farms and so even if slavery was legal in states there was a very you know there were very few slaves um, or there tended to be very few slaves in northern states but in the south that's where most of the slaves were because their large-scale farms really depended on slave labor and they were growing mostly cotton and tobacco at that point so in the 1930s there was starting to be this growing abolitionist sentiment that started in the north a lot of people thought it was immoral including Abraham Lincoln who wouldn't be on the scene I mean he, he's not gonna be on the scene for a little bit still but um, this is kind of exactly his thought too once he came on on the scene where a lot of northerners didn't necessarily want to abolish slavery in the South. It was more about stopping the spread of slavery into the Western territories as they became states. So because we had the U.S. Constitution and there was, you know, states' rights and limited federal government, a lot of people didn't necessarily think that the federal government had the power to uh prohibit slavery where it was already happening but the main focus of the abolitionist movement in the north at that time was stopping the westward expansion of slavery so all of this you know there's this growing sentiment of abolitionism and stopping the expansion of slavery but in 1854 the u.s congress passed what's called the kansas nebraska act Now, this is the exact opposite of what the abolitionists want. It basically opened up all new territories to slavery because it asserted a rule of popular sovereignty over congressional edict. So any new territory would be open to slavery under this act. Now, people did not like this, and this is kind of a, it was a hotly debated topic. So it ended up getting violent, and there were pro and anti-slavery forces that struggled in what was called bleeding kansas now this isn't the start of the war yet it was just a skirmish that was kind of in the lead up to the war so there were a lot of people that opposed this act and they eventually formed a political party of their own called the republican party this is where the republican party came from was opposition of slavery expansion into the west now lincoln once he started coming on the scene always thought that slavery was immoral so there's many quotes of him saying that slavery is immoral however he did not believe that the constitution gave the federal government the power to abolish slavery in states that already had slavery kind of he he reflected basically the northern attitude with slavery of course some people wanted to abolish it everywhere um but that wasn't necessarily the main focus a lot of people just believed it was immoral but based on the resources they had and and the Constitution what it outlined they just thought the best I can do is stop the spread so um, let's see in 1857 then this is four years after the Kansas Nebraska Act the Supreme Court made their ruling on the Dred Scott case which essentially confirmed that it confirmed the legality of slavery in the new territory so it was a confirmation that yes the nebraska kansas act still stands and slavery can you know is legal in 1859 there was an abolitionist named john brown and he led a raid at harper's ferry and this led the south to be further convinced that the north was just coming for slavery so for a long long time like when lincoln was running for president the the common sentiment and all these people were saying we're not coming for your slavery like we're not going to try to abolish it in the south you can keep having slaves even though i think it's immoral we just want to stop the spread well all of this these growing abolitionist sentiments There's now been like multiple skirmishes and violence, you know, violent battles, if you will, led by abolitionists. And this um, raid in 1859 was really where a lot of people in the South were like, yeah, they would like to abolish slavery and their whole economy was kind of at risk. So even though Lincoln specifically, he was running for president and when he was elected said i will not i have no plans to abolish slavery in the south the north or yeah the south did not like him and they thought just because he thinks it's immoral that is already a red flag that he might eventually get rid of it so in 1860 lincoln gets elected uh that november and immediately caused seven states to secede to form the Confederate States of America that all happened within three months seven states seceded from the Union those states were South Carolina Mississippi Florida Alabama Georgia Louisiana and Texas so those are the seven states that made up the Confederate the Confederate States of America now again I just want to emphasize Lincoln as soon as he was elected made it very, very clear he had no plan to interfere with slavery in the states that it was already happening. But the states that seceded did not care. It was enough that Lincoln, like, morally opposed slavery. They said, it's too much of a risk. We're out. He's an abolitionist, and he's probably going to come for it one day. So these states formed the, the government of the Confederation, and started assigning cabinet members and a president. And so Jefferson Davis, his name was, was the first president of the Confederate States of America. In 1861, so he was elected in 1860 in November, but then he didn't take office till March of 1861. And pretty much immediately the Confederate forces threatened the federal held Fort Sumter in Charleston, South Carolina. Now, April 12th, 1861, Lincoln ordered a fleet to resupply at Fort Sumter. The Confederate artillery fired what is now known as the first shots of the Civil War. So it started April 12th, 1861, literally one month after Lincoln took office. So he walked into a lot. And part of the reason why, I should also clarify, part of the reason why he, you know, was morally opposed to slavery, but then didn't want to take uh, actions to interfere with slavery in the United States, other than he didn't think the Constitution had that power necessarily, was because it was growing very, very clear that there was a huge divide in America and that it might split. So, like, even prior to the states seceding from the Union, it was very clear that there was this huge rift and that the Union itself was kind of at stake. His number one priority from the beginning of the war was not ending slavery, as now we kind of think of the Civil War as like, okay, that ended slavery. That wasn't the goal from the beginning. The, num- the goal was to preserve the Union with all the states. It wanted to to keep the Union intact, and the southern states were trying to secede. Okay, so that was the first shot of the Civil War. It was April 12th, 1861, at Fort Sumter. Now, Sumter's commander's name was Major Robert Anderson, and he surrendered after less than two days. They were bombarded, and he left the fort in the hands of the Confederate forces. So a very, very early loss for the union now a, a man named pierre gg burg was in charge of the confederate forces at sumter and this is where it made it very clear that the south did not think this war would was going to last long in the southern's eyes the southern men's eyes they were raised on horseback they worked with their hands they were like tough and rugged and strong and their economy like relied on this you know so and they had this perception of the north that you know they never worked with their hands they were weak they they just thought it wouldn't be a fight at all and this first battle at Fort Sumter kind of confirmed their suspicions (laughs) because they won in just two days and You know, they just thought this was going to be a very quick war. So the thing that was unanticipated for all of this, like there was a quote that said that the Southerners thought that they could bring the whole world to their feet. They're such good soldiers and they were brought up in horseback and all this stuff. But what was not foreseen before they started was that there were a lot of poor white men that were in the south that did not want to risk their lives for just rich plantation owners like when we say the full the whole southern economy was based on slavery the number of people that were benefiting directly from slave labor was a very small portion of the population It was very, very rich white plantation owners who had many slaves, but there was a ton of poor white men who didn't want to go to war. There was a common sentiment that uh, a congressman said where he said, well, some of these people, like some some of my constituents don't want to go to go to war. They think the South needs to be subdued. And so they didn't want to be part of the seceding states. They didn't want this war. And they definitely didn't want to go die for the interests of just rich white men that they didn't care about. Um, So after Fort Sumter, um, Virginia, Arkansas, North Carolina, and Tennessee also seceded from the Union and joined the Confederate States. There were some border states like Missouri, Kentucky, and Maryland that never actually seceded, but there were a significant number of um citizens in those states that kind of joined the Confederate side. There was a lot of Confederate kind of sympathizers in those states. They were borderline, but they never actually seceded. So, July 21st, 1861, was called the First Battle of Bull Run, or the First Manassas, as it was known in the South. So there's different names for some of these battles between the North and the South. There were 35,000 Confederate troops. They were outnumbered, and under the control of Thomas Jonathan Stonewall Jackson, as he is known as, they forced the Union soldiers to retreat towards D.C. Lincoln then called in 500,000 recruits as a result. And it was a long, tough battle. And this is the battle where it was kind of the turning point where everyone realized that this was not going to be a short conflict. The southern resistance to the war by poor whites started growing stronger. And it was just clear that this was not going to be like the three-month conflict that they thought. So let's talk a little bit more about the southern resistance to the war because this is the turning point where it got, it it became a problem for the South. So the South needed to draft able-bodied men to join the fight once they realized that this was going to be an extended war. Okay, so they need to put a draft out. But a draft is never popular, but it's especially not popular when, again, like, Poor whites did not want to fight for the interests of these very, very rich people that they didn't really relate to. But then, President Davis, the, you know, the president of the Confederate States, put an exception into the draft law that exempted slave owners who owned more than 15 slaves from being drafted. What a terrible move for him to make. This basically made the resentment so much worse, because if you can imagine... You're about to get drafted. You're about to go kill your fellow citizens to preserve your southern economic uh, system, which, in your eyes, is only benefiting this extremely small population that you don't even relate to. Well, now, those people, the top of the top rich, now they don't even have to go fight for their own systems in place like the system that they're benefiting off of which is slavery they want to keep and they're going to have the poor white men go and kind of do their dirty work for them and they're exempt from the draft so yeah so there was a quote that of a poor white man that was put on record as saying the law now makes the rich man superior to the poor forcing the poor to the battlefields showing the world that the rich is too good to become food for bullets There was growing resentment. Now, after the struggles with drafting, the Confederate government uh, figured it could use enslaved Africans, like their slaves, to rebuild the roads, tend to the wounded, feed troops, fortify bunkers, all of these different things that needed to be done in order to free up the able-bodied white men to actually do the fighting. Now, this would rely on plantation owners... The same ones who are dodging the draft, okay, it relied on them to offer up their slaves to do this work. So they'd be losing productivity on their plantations and they would have to offer up their slaves to go volunteer them to go fix the roads and do all this, like, kind of mundane work. Well, the same people that didn't want to go draft to fight for slavery didn't want their slaves to go take time to do that while they could be working on the plantation so that wasn't a very popular thing and the way that the Confederate States of the US was set up was there was such small government like there was almost no federal government from what i understand and so there was no power for the federal government to for the federal government to actually force plantation owners to give up some slaves to go do this work they had such individual specific state rights there was not a lot of power to coordinate anything nationwide and so almost no one offered up their slaves to do this work um so that is a good reminder that you do need some federal government like I'm a conservative and so I like small government, but there is a layer of federal government you need to have to coordinate things nationwide and they did not have it. And so they couldn't like they were having a problem with the draft and then they had this great idea to have slaves do some of the labor and then they had a problem with that because it relied on essentially the generosity of these plantation owners because they wanted to keep making money and no one could really force them to give up their slave labor. Um, so Okay, so it even went so far as some of these plantation owners when the idea was put forward that they would give up some of their slaves for a time to have them go do this work, they said, okay, well, we might just pull out of the Confederacy altogether if we have to do that. So they really did not want to lose any money by giving up any of their slaves. Um, let's see, let me, I think I summarized all of this. Okay. So then a man named George B. McClellan or McClellan, uh, replaced the aging general Winfield Scott as the supreme commander of the union army after just a couple months of the war. So they got this new guy in and this guy was McClellan. He was loved by his troops. He was very nice and they all loved him, but he was very reluctant to advance on multiple occasions, which really frustrated Lincoln. So in the spring of 1862, McClellan finally led his army. um, Well, he was in charge of what was called the Army of the Potomac. That was his individual army, as well as he was the supreme commander of the Union Army. But he led his Army of the Potomac up the uh, peninsula between the York and the James Rivers, and captured Yorktown on May 4th. On June 25th through July 1st was what's known as the Seven Days Battles. So there were combined forces of Robert E. Lee and Jackson, and they drove McClellan's army back. And so, you know, it didn't look too good. They, they drove his army back, and McClellan called for even more reinforcements to move against Richmond. Now, McClellan was super, super cautious. And so Lincoln refused any reinforcements because again, he had, he had a hard time like actually being aggressive and advancing the army. So McClellan, after Lincoln refused reinforcements, withdrew the army of the Potomac back to Washington. This did not go over well with Lincoln. And so mid 1862, like around, you know, the Seven Days Battles, McClellan was replaced as the Union General-in-Chief by a man named Henry W. Halleck. Now, McClellan did remain the general or like he remained in command of the Army of the Potomac, but he was no longer the General-in-Chief of the entire Union Army. So after that, On August 29th, 1862, there was the Second Battle of Bull Run, where uh, Robert E. Lee ended up moving troops north and splitting his men, and then he attacked and drove the Union men back towards Washington. So that was a win for the South, and it was again against McClellan, so he's not doing (laughs) that great. It says after the win at Manassas or what's known by the North as Bull Run Lee started his first invasion of the North so at the site of this whole thing like at the site of this invasion there were contradictory orders from Lincoln and Halleck on how to handle it and sparing some of these details basically McClellan had to make his own choice kind of because he got conflicting instructions from the president and from the general in chief so Despite all that confusion, McClellan was able to reorganize his army after this attack and strike Lee on September 14th. That all took place in Maryland, and it drove the Confederates back to a defensive position along um, what's called the Antietam Creek. (laughs) Some of these names I'm not very good at pronouncing, but it drove them back, and they were now on the defense. So it was actually a good win for McClellan. Now, September 17th, 1862 is the Battle of Antietam, or it's also known as the Battle of Sharpsburg. Now, the Army of the Potomac hit Lee's forces, and again, that's led by McClellan, and this is the bloodiest day of fighting in the entire war, was September 17th, 1862, the Battle of Sharpsburg it halted the confederate advance into maryland and forced lee to retreat in virginia so it was a very key key win for the union there were huge casualties on both sides so super bloody day and and very bad uh bloody battle but it was a win for the union now at this um So it was a win for McClellan, but again, he's too cautious and he failed to pursue the advantage, which caused Lincoln and Halleck to remove him from command altogether. They were just like, how are we going to win the war with this guy if he won't even pursue them when he's winning? So he just made one too many bad moves and both Halleck and Lincoln called it quits, took him off of command. A man named Ambrose E. Burnside was put in charge instead of the Army of the Potomac at that time. And then Lincoln used the Union Union Army's win there in that battle as the catalyst to issue a preliminary Emancipation Proclamation. Okay, so this gets a little complicated because it did not make sense to me when I first read it. I had thought that if Lincoln was freeing slaves that his proclamation an initial proclamation would be freeing slaves officially and making it illegal in the northern states because from what I understand a lot of the northern states it was not illegal yet or it was at least up to the state so while many northern states had no slaves or had only a few amount of slaves they could still have slaves but his first preliminary emancipation proclamation was this it says after january 1st 1863 all rebel state slaves were to be free now again why would lincoln free slaves only in the rebel states when he has jurisdiction over the union states and the confederate sympathizer like borderline states they had more slaves and they were on the borderline of joining the confederate states he has jurisdiction over those and could have made those uh states slavery in those states illegal okay here's why that is so lincoln technically had no jurisdiction or like no grounds to issue this in the confederate states but he started telling generals that as they fought these battles and as they took over an area to free all the enslaved uh, Africans there. Now, ultimately it says the reason for this preliminary emancipation proclamation was to prevent the South from using slave labor to fix roads, tend to the injured, etc. So if you remember the plan of the South, which was to, you know, have these plantation owners volunteer their slave labor to fix the roads and do all that. So, If that really caught on, it could have been really bad news for the North because they had, you know, slaves doing all this kind of mundane work, and then they would have a lot of other people to fight. And so it could be bad news if that plan actually got rolling. It would be a way harder fight for the Union. So this Emancipation Proclamation, the preliminary version, was so that the union could go into an area, free the slaves, they would run north for their freedom because it was not allowed there. Actually, I'll have to look that up. I'll do like a little fact check at the end to say, like, I think the Northern states already had slavery be illegal. I'll have to double check that. But anyway, they would free the slaves and that way it would eliminate any extra labor. Um, that the slaves would contribute to the Southern Army. So, the Southern planters heard about this and they were very upset and they thought that this was illegal because there was an act called the Fugitive Slave Act that was in place and it was mandated by the U.S. government that in the event that there was a runaway slave that was found, they would have to be returned to their rightful owner. Now, the act uh was granted by the u.s constitution and it did not govern the u.s relationship with a foreign country lincoln argued which the south now claimed to be they were now the confederate states of america and so they were a completely separate country from the united states of america so what he ordered was not in fact illegal because they were in a foreign country okay So we've already talked about how Lincoln's whole goal... Like, he didn't set out to go end slavery. What The reason he freed the slaves at this moment in the South was to preserve the Union. From the very beginning of the war, his number one priority was preserving the Union. And by freeing the slaves and taking out that extra labor from the South... He thought there was a better chance for the North or for the Union to win and to preserve the Union. So it was he thought it was always morally wrong, but had no plans to interfere with it with slavery in the South. But as soon as the South came up with this big plan to like have slaves do all this work as part of the war effort, he said, okay, as a step to preserve the Union, I need to free the slaves. So um yeah, he originally wanted to avoid a war, but once war was happening, Lincoln saw this as a path to victory. Okay. So, the emancipation really helped shift the entire focus of the war. So again, at the beginning it was mostly about cultural and economic differences and there was this big rift happening in America and things like that. But no one was really saying, "Okay, let's go in and free all the slaves in the South." But after the Emancipation Proclamation, the Union's focus shifted way more to the ending of slavery. Before it was kind of off the table, they said, well, we don't really have jurisdiction there. The federal government can't do it. But now that it's on the table with the Emancipation Proclamation, that is the main focus. And it set a decisive course for how the nation would be reshaped after the Civil War. Okay. So, we will get more into, part of the reason also why I wanted to research this is because you always hear about this great like party switch where Republicans were formed in opposition to slavery and Democrats were slave owners and then there's this big switch that happened where Republicans are seen as racist and Democrats are seen as very progressive. I wanted to research like did that party switch actually happen because a lot of people say no it didn't, some people say yes it did. I will be talking about that more next week because I've done a lot of good research about it this week but I want to see how the reconstruction happened and there's just a lot more history that goes into researching the whole party switch debate and so I will be going more into that next week as we finish up. The civil war but that's where i'm going to end it for today because we are halfway through the war we're at like uh the beginning of 1863 the war ends uh in 1864 so we're a little bit ways through a ways through the war but i want to go over the rest of the end of the war next time and then how the u.s kind of came back together and reconstructed because It seems so crazy to me that like, okay, let's say states wanted to secede now. I feel like it would be almost easier to just say, okay, go like secede, you know, and the thought of actually going to a full-blown war to keep the country together seems wild that it actually worked to reform our country. Because you would think if you're going to a war in order to secede, The winning side like if the the Union won and they went to war to preserve the Union you would think there would be so much bitterness and resentment in the South that they first of all got rid of slavery they wanted to secede they they lost the war then they had to rejoin the Union you would think that there would be such a large rift like even a larger rift in the country than there was before the war But somehow we reconstructed and brought it all back together. And now we're still one country. Crazy. And I'm so interested in the reconstruction. So that's what we're going over over next week. But I wanted to keep this podcast to a manageable length for today. So that is part one of the history of the Civil War. I hope you enjoyed. And if you have any other topic ideas you want to learn about, um, dm me i will be going over probably the ukraine russia conflict but there's so much there and i realized i did not learn a lot of european history somehow in school that i'm trying to get up to speed on the whole history of that region which has somehow escaped me for the last 25 years so in a couple weeks i'll probably be doing a full history lesson on that as well but i need to get educated on that first so if you have any other Um, podcast topics let me know and I will see you on Thursday for the history of the state of Georgia in our states episode all right that's all for today thanks everyone bye to clarify as the fact check in here all northern states had abolished slavery by the time the civil war had started actually well before the civil war had started and so yes all of those northern states were free now they had the same uh states rights thing so each state could abolish it at a different time it's just everyone in the north had already abolished it by the start of the civil war um whereas when lincoln announced this initial emancipation proclamation that was to all the south as a whole said like okay you don't get slavery at all as a whole whenever we find an area we will free all the slaves there but yes the north had abolished slavery, but just as individual states. So, that's your fact check, and uh, thanks for listening. Bye.